look at 41% of the country that does not have $400, um, 34% of the country that has $0 in savings. All of these numbers are pre-COVID. So with that said, COVID has only exacerbated the issue that already existed before. If you believe we can change the narrative, if you believe we can change our communities, if you believe we can change the outcomes, then we can change the world. I'm Rob Richardson. Welcome to Disruption Now. Welcome to Disruption Now. I'm your host and moderator, Rob Richardson. On Disruption Now, we disrupt common narratives and constructs, particularly around uh, people of color. And this is why we like to interview uh, entrepreneurs that are breaking the mold, breaking the trend, and breaking the construct. And that's why we have Travis Holloway from uh, Solo, Solo Funds with us today. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited about this. Well, well, well we're glad to have you too. You're in sunny LA, right? Yeah, so we're in LA, uh, the best place to be quarantined in the country, I believe. Um, so yeah, it's been uh, it's been great. That's good. Yeah, I'm jealous of you. I don't have 85 degree weather. It's not that, it's not been that bad. It was 75 yesterday in Cincinnati. Your old stomping ground. So that's not bad today. And no rain. Uh, well, it's been lots of rain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's the difference. Yeah, usually when it's uh, when it's 75 degrees in the springtime, it's uh, it's accompanied by some rain. So. Um, you know, I'm happy to have the, the 85 and sunny over here. Well, yeah, you're right. It's a good, you're right. It's a great place to be quarantined. And, you know, it's, uh, as we think about now in this moment, uh, no one could have predicted what's happening right now. I mean, the, the, the best of business planners and folks in the world couldn't have guessed this. You can guess a slowdown, but you couldn't guess something would literally stop business full speed halt period. I mean, I haven't seen anything like this happen. How are you at Solo? First of all, before we get there, uh, I, I want to talk about how Solo Funds is adjusting to the moment, what Solo Funds is doing for its customers, all those things. But before that, I want people to know a little more about you. I was just jumping right in before we even warmed up. Uh, how did you get into Solo Funds and your background? And what is Solo Funds for those who don't know? Yeah, so um, Solo was really born from a personal experience that I was having. Um, the pain point that I was experiencing with my friends and family uh, was that they would ask me for money. They would ask me for $50 for gas. They would ask me for $100 for a utility bill. Um, it might be an old college friend. You know, I, I've been essentially, I've been lending money since I was in high school. And you know, while I was in college and, you know, had just graduated, I would still have people ping me for $200 for a textbook. Um, and I realized that, you know, people were asking me for money, partly because I was working in finance. I was living in New York City. People just assumed because I, you know, wore a suit and carried a briefcase that I had money to lend them. Yeah, and, Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I was fortunate to be one of the more successful people in my family at a relatively young age. Uh, and because of that, the loan request would continue to come. And ultimately, I wanted to figure out somewhere else to send people to when they asked me for money. <laughs> not and, you all the time. <laughs> yeah, and 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 not me. And you know, I, I started to look, and I, you know, I was working in finance, and I was hearing about peer-to-peer -peer lending, whether it was Lending Club or Lending Tree or Prosper, and all these different companies. Um, and I, I started to just kind of go one by one, and I realized that none of them were options for the people that I knew who needed access to the type of capital they were asking me for. So, you know, that was always, you know, if it was Kiva, it was actually, it had to be a business owner. And primarily they were distributing capital 
overseas and emerging markets. If it was Lending Club or Lending Tree or Prosper, they were doing loans above $1,000 only. Um, but for things like debt reconsolidation, down payments on homes, things like that, it wasn't for the single mother who was living paycheck to paycheck who needed groceries or medicine for a sick child. And when I realized that the only options that people had for to solve that type of need was to either ask friends and family, which is what they were already doing, um, or they could go take a payday loan. And payday loans, for those who don't know, come, come with an average interest rate of about 400% attached. Um, they're extremely predatory. Um, they prey on communities of people that look like me and my peers and, and my friends and family. Um, and I, I said, hey, like, you know, these, these businesses are ravaging our communities. They're creating debt traps. And I didn't want to send anyone that I knew, loved or cared about to go take a predatory loan. So I said, I think that there's another, another way to do this. And there's a more equitable way, a, a right. more equitable way to do this. And for me, that was taking some of the experience that I had in my former career, which is, you know, most people who make under $100,000 don't have a financial advisor or an investment advisor or a financial planner, but they're actively looking for places to earn returns. And, you know, if you make $90,000 but live in Cincinnati, Ohio, where you are, you actually have discretionary capital because the cost of living isn't what it is here in LA. So if we're able to, you know, pair that type of capital um, to people who need access to small dollar loans and actually create a way for that lender to earn returns, we can solve two problems. One, we can offer significant returns to the lender side of the market. But on the flip side, we can solve borrower short-term cash needs more affordable than ever before. And that was really the, the birth of Solo. And you know, since then, we've been able to do some amazing things. We're one of the fastest growing financial technology companies in the country. Um, we have a default rate that's three times better than industry average, uh, wow. recovery rate that's four times better than industry average. Um, and, you know, when I was, I was looking at overall total loan volume, you know, companies like I mentioned, Kiva, we actually processed the same, the same amount of loans in the U.S. last year as a Kiva that's been around for, you know, over 10 years. So it's been exciting. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, I, I really like the fact that you, that you are doing this, you know, Everybody has to make money. So I'd like to get to how that happens for solo funds. But before we get there, I do like the fact that you are, are working to, you see in a problem, not only in the problem that you see for yourself, but you see a, really a society problem that you're trying to do your part to fix. And that's lack of access to capital. And, and I see you doing this two ways from what I can tell from how you explained it. One, giving more people an opportunity to become an investor and a lender in ways that they normally don't have an opportunity to. And then the other side of it, helping people day to day with, with some of their cash needs. Um, how, how, how do you prevent yourself from not going to that, I guess, the payday industry loan? If, if you're not making interest and these are really small loans, how does, how does it, how, how does, a, how, do, how does your industry, how does your organization, I should say, not your industry, how does your organization make its money? Yeah, so we make money from uh, a few different ways. Um, the, 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 I guess the number one way is a donation, um, which is paid by the borrower. And you know, for us, it was very important. If you're going to disrupt something that's predatory, people are obviously going to you know, peel back the curtain to see what you're doing and if you're doing something yeah, predatory sure. as well. So as they should. And people are going to assume that you're doing something. Let's yeah. be honest. They're going to assume you're doing something predatory if you're, in this, if you're doing this. Exactly. So for us, it was, well, how do we take that conversation off the table from the beginning. 
And for us, you know, we empower borrowers to create their own terms. So there is no other financial institution that you could walk into today and say, well, I'm going to borrow $100 to pay my utility bill. I'm going to tell you the day I'm going to pay you back, which is the 15th of the month. And then I'm also going to tell you if I'm willing to pay anything in excess of the principal amount for that capital. So we actually, because we built a marketplace, um, borrowers create all of their own terms. And then they submit it to a marketplace where anyone in the country can actually fund that loan. But it's the borrower who's created those terms and then accepts those terms um, once a lender has agreed to fund that loan. So the power is completely in the hands of that borrower. So we get paid from a donation. The lender earns a tip, which is effectively, think of that as like the return that a lender is making on a transaction. Um, But both of those, both tip and donation, are completely uh, are completely optional. Number one and two are completely controlled by uh, the borrower. So that's that's how we essentially have bypassed becoming predatory. And the only thing that we do do is we essentially have capped the tip rate uh, at ten percent of any given loan. So we won't allow. You know, one thing that was really interesting to me as I was looking at building this company was. I was seeing people on chat rooms and people were saying, hey, my car broke down. I need $300. I'll pay you back $500 next week. Like one, that's a really, really, really bad rate. Like that's, that's it's actually yeah, predatory. But, but they've created that um, because they don't know any better. And, you know, their back is against the wall. So they're willing to say or pay whatever they have to to actually get their car fixed or to get those groceries. Um, and that's not fair. So what we did, essentially did was we created um, a way that people don't financially harm themselves and create a debt, debt trap for themselves just from a lack of not knowing. So you know that's the that's the one real barrier that we put on a transaction is that we won't allow borrowers to pay more than ten percent um, for a particular loan transaction. Wow. And so, so how do you go about evaluating your borrowers? I take it you don't necessarily accept every borrower that comes on because it has to it has to work. So uh, how do you how do you evaluate your borrowers? Then how do you evaluate your lenders? Yeah. So um, great question. So from a borrower perspective, we believe that the FICO score is broken. We believe that the metrics that are largely you know factored today are not applicable to the underbanked and millennial demographic. When you look at overall just behaviors, you know, it used to be normal, especially for like the baby boomer generation to be 30 years old, own a home, own two cars, be married and have one and a half kids. Like that used to be life. Um, That is no longer. That's over. Yeah, it's it's completely over. And it was already over pre the coronavirus, but it's really over right now. But we'll talk about that in a minute. Exactly. So um, if that's the case, then. You know, banks have really built their underwriting, um, you know, characteristics and tools around an old way of living. And if people are no longer buying homes, buying cars, using credit cards the way that prior generations have, how is a traditional bank going to underwrite the new demographics and generations going forward? Well, they're going to need alternative data to do so, and they're going to they're going to need to figure out a new way to tell the story of what a borrower's creditworthiness looks like. And they're gonna need companies like Solo, who has access to this demographic, knows how to market to this demographic, so we know how to acquire them. We know how to underwrite them in an alternative way where we're actually looking at their cash flow. So rather than looking at their FICO score, 
we're actually looking at their ability to repay a specific loan on a specific day and time versus your FICO score, which is looking at your ability to make multiple payments over a long duration of time. So, you know, the solo score is really like a one-time per transaction credit score. And what we can do with that over time is mm. basically take that information, provide that to a traditional financial institution, um, it, what we call a path to upward financial mobility to where we don't need borrowers to be on solo forever. We don't want borrowers to be on solo forever either. Because the, the fortunate but unfortunate thing is that we will never run out of people who need access to small dollar loans. No, you won't. So, if it, so it, it doesn't do us any harm to allow these individuals to get access to better, more traditional financial tools and resources. It actually helps the, it helps the economy as a whole. But our focus here is if, we, if we're able to provide that data, that data to the traditional institution, they can now give that person a more favorable interest rate on a car loan or a credit card or eventually a mortgage um, that they wouldn't be able to underwrite them without that type of data. So, you know, for us, it's can you make this payment on a specific day and time? But going forward, it's how do we use and leverage that data to make sure that you don't need this resource forever? And ultimately, if you could return as a lender, if you could return as a lender and pay it forward, so you, you maybe started off as a borrower, but now that your financial situation has improved and you come back as a lender, you can now pay that forward. You know, so what so so what someone else did for you, you can actually now do for someone else. No, I mean, I, I really I really like a lot of aspects of this and the fact that you, you saw that the payday loan industry is uh, taking advantage and you're doing everything possible to disrupt what's happening there by offering a solution. Uh, the financial institution that you deal with. Is it how has it been trying to convince them? I guess that this is data they need to pay attention to. Oh, oh, you know, old old habits die hard. How do you get them to uh, just just to, to to wake up to the twenty twenty of how how one should be evaluating uh, loan applications and and small loans and things like this? Yeah, um, depending on the banking institution, um, some are waking up faster than others. Um, I think that. The, the whole the overall transition with this marketplace has has birthed companies that are not like solo but are in the space of like a sofi or you know upstart and these places that are you know now underwriting um, individuals in different ways and they're doing that because they know if they continue you know they, they realize the same thing that I realized but they realize it for you know bigger loan repayments and bigger you know bigger lines of credit um, and debt instruments but you know, banks are realizing that they're losing a lion's share of their potential future customers to, um, you know, the aspiration, the chime banks of the world, um, because they're because they're thinking more from an innovative standpoint. And banks now are saying, "Hey, well, you know, how do we how do we not lose out on this market share? Um, who's doing this? Who's underwriting? Who's looking at the right things? And who's actually having success in this market?" Um, Let's partner with them because they understand how to how to they understand the tone and what's to to speak to this demographic. Um, one of the you know I used to tell investors, you know they would ask this question of like why do you think you're the one to solve this problem? And I felt like yeah. I was the one to solve this problem because I come from the same demographic that we're helping. Fortunately, I'm I'm not in a situation today to where I need to borrow a couple of hundred dollars, but I have before. Um, right. and, and that, and that quickly changed to when I got out of that situation, people came to me and asked me for a few hundred dollars. So 
I know the needs of that demographic because I've once needed it. Two, I've also solved that problem personally. Um, so I know that I, I know I know how to solve the needs of that demographic. So um, in short, uh, these banking institutions uh, are now waking up and are looking at who's doing this at, at a high level and trying to figure out how they can partner to have future success. Yeah. How do you since you want to obviously get uh, folks who are borrowing not to be. Uh, I guess long-term users like of solar borrowers, funds. Yeah. Are you are you trying to introduce them ways to have new habits? Like, how are you going about tackling solving some of their problems? Because it seems like you know it, it's how one views money is the habits you have that create the problems. The most yeah, experience. absolutely. And and then just the lack of information, uh, yes. I think, is probably the other biggest piece. Um, I always say I think they don't teach financial literacy in schools by design. Um, primarily because probably not, probably yeah, not. You know, because listen, listen. If the economy worked that way, if 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 if, if everybody actually, oops, thought I, thought I turned my phone off. Yep, hold it. So uh, if if everybody actually operated that way and saved their money, invested wisely, actually the economy couldn't work for a lot of people because people would be saving. So they want to, they want to have, particularly our community, they want us to purely be spenders. Yeah, to spend everything we have. To help make somebody else rich and to keep us in deficit. Uh, hard to understand that when you're going through the process, though. It's easy for us to say it now, but hard to it's very it's been scientifically shown. It's very hard to change a habit. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, it's from a from a financial literacy standpoint, um, teaching people about overdraft fees, which are just actually even more predatory than payday loans. When you think about you know, yep. you overdraft your bank account by $1. Now they charge you a $36 fee. Um, when you really start to look at that percentage, it's not 400%, it's like 17,000%. So, you know, it's, it's, it's giving information. So, you know, within the platform, we actually have financial literacy um, to where you can learn anything from how to create your first budget. So budgeting 101 all the way through retirement planning. And in between, you might hear information about, you know, what is a 529 plan? So for college educational savings, um, or what is, you know, how to secure your first car loan or mortgage. Um, you know, these are the types of things that people don't know. And unfortunately, people are learning how to manage their finances by making mistakes. And yeah. those are some of the most expensive mistakes that you can make throughout the course of your life. So essentially, you know, our goal is to one, provide access and give um, provide a tool or resource to get access to loans and also to lend money to earn returns and have a positive social impact. But on the flip side of that, if we can give information um, to allow people to, you know, navigate some of the pitfalls and potholes that they may have hit, um, you know, we're, we're doing an extremely good thing. Yeah, I mean, just learning that this is a, <clears throat> like everything, this is a mindset. Money, how you view money, how you manage money is a mindset. And um, thinking about it from the long-term point of view, um, I want to just take this moment right now. And we're in COVID-19, uh, the coronavirus, and people have now hit a level of desperation or uh, just reset that was not foreseeable. There's, there, I mean, you can foresee a slowdown. <clears throat> hard to foresee a hard stop because it's never happened before at least with no one that's been living for the last hundred years, it hasn't happened. <clears throat> so what is solo funds doing in, in this unique moment? That's my first question. The second question is, well, I'll get the second question next. You can answer that. All right. So, you know, one, 
The sad part is 78% of the country was already living paycheck to paycheck before COVID-19. Um, yeah, over, 40, over 40% of the country didn't have $400 before COVID-19. They would, eat, they would have to borrow from someone else just to get $400. 70%, 70%, 70%, 70%, 70%, 70%, 70%, 70%, 70%, 70%, 70%, 70%, 70%, 70%, 70%, 70%, 70%, 70%, 70%, 70%, 70%, 70%, 70%, 70%, 
or JP Moore, I mean, or, no. or, or Bank of America or any other traditional bank and get a loan for $500. They're just not lending at those levels. No. So what either happens- They're not is, lending at this, listen, they're not lending at the small business level. There's a reason why, there's a reason why the LA Lakers and other people qualified. The banks work with, but they say, hey, look, you should got, you guys should go get this. It's exactly. good money. This is money you can get essentially it's free. Go free. get it. It's free um, money. And the, the banks are in the business. This is just the, the, the nature of banks. They're in the business of how can we make the safest load and make the most amount of money? And that's not individuals and that's not small businesses, which is exactly. why you need to be in business. Ex- ex- exactly. Exactly. So, you know, with, with all of that said, you know, it's what we've done is we've, we've continued to provide the, the resource that we already were providing primarily because it was needed before COVID, but it's definitely needed yep. now post COVID. Um, but on the lender side, um, our whole focus was how do we continue to protect lenders, protect their, their investments or the, the funds that they deployed on the cap, uh, on the platform. And for us, what we realized because we have a default rate that is three times better than industry average, and we have recovery rates that are significantly higher up to four times better than industry average, we could actually put some skin in the game. And, you know, we listen to our users uh, we've had lenders in the past say, hey, you know, when when a loan defaults in this program, on this platform, I'm I'm the only one who's taking any type of risk or loss. And we said, all right, well, we're looking at the numbers and we can actually insure these loans. So rather than you taking 100% of the default loss or the, the, or the risk on this platform, we can actually reduce that from 100% down to 5%. So you know, so we're we're truly in this together because one, we believe in the users um, that are taking these loans. We believe that we can underwrite them better than anyone else. And then three, um, we want to show you that this is the time to double down and continue to help people, um, and that you're not going to suffer from the overall default. It's a good time so become, this, I think I might become a lender. This is a good yeah. time to become one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you're willing to show up ninety five percent of the loan, but like, why not? Exactly. This is uh, this is this is exactly the time to become a lender. Um, to where you can do well and do good at the same time. And, you know, no disrespect or I don't want to, you know, disencourage anyone to not go and, you know, fund someone's GoFundMe campaign, but you're giving money away on on GoFundMe. Every time someone creates a campaign, you're literally just giving it away. And this is a platform, you know, speaking of solo, to where you can actually have that same type of positive social impact all while earning a positive return you know, for yourself as well. So it's a, it's what we, what we call a double bottom line um, opportunity to where you can do well and do good at the same time. So how does it work in, in, in practical terms? You can only give, you can only loan a thousand dollars, but you can do more than one loan to multiple people. Is that how that works? Or so, can you, so yeah, so work? you can, so a lender can loan, um, can lend up to $10,000 per month. Okay. Um, so, so they can deploy a lot more capital and because but only 1000 um, to a, 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 an individual though, to one individual. That's correct. Okay. Um, so the majority of the loans are the average loan size is just about $200. So, you know, you can actually help quite a few people, um, as low as $50. So, you know, someone deploys $5,000, they can actually help a hundred different people with $50 loans. So if I did $10,000 now, you're saying 10, uh, 95% of that would be insured currently. Yes. So you opt into what we call a solo lender protection program. Yes. Uh, we would insure up to 95%. You pay a premium um, for that too, I take it, right? So, so yeah. So you'll pay. It's you'll like pay. paying for the insurance. It's make, that's exactly. actually a beautiful. Like, that was brilliant. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes, that's, uh, that's essentially what we've done um, to, to, uh, to protect lenders uh, during this time. So 
that's a that's 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 the that's the COVID response to uh, to for, that's that solo's COVID response. Uh, I would say. What's your thought? What what would be your advice to entrepreneurs who maybe aren't as fortunate as you are? And, and maybe I'll, I'll draw. I'll, I'll come back to an example for yourself when you might have had a bump in the road you didn't expect or you failed at something. If you can draw from that and think about what advice you may give to entrepreneurs who may not be as well positioned for whatever reason. I mean, they could be in a position where they needed to have person-to-person contact for their business and it was a brilliant idea until March 10th and then it looked like a horrible idea come March 25th I mean, just because of how the world changed. What would you tell those folks? Uh, I would say, well, number one, don't give up. Just keep fighting. Um, I, I think the theme of 2020 is not how well you can do, um, not how much money you can make, nothing about revenue. It's about literally making it to, 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 to 2021. It's can you stay alive to next year um, and fight like hell to make it to next year. Um, become more resourceful than you've ever been. Um, whether that is, you know, you you had a business that was, you know, that, that maybe you couldn't open, take that business online. So if you have inventory, I don't know if you're selling hair, makeup, whatever, um, if you had a brick or mortar building and you didn't have a, a Shopify set up, or if you didn't have uh, some type of Amazon, you know, relationship or partnership, establish one. Like, how can you still move that inventory without having your business open and continuing to find creative ways um, to do that? But you know, the best entrepreneurs don't sit back and and talk about what happened to them and and how the world or economy or system at large failed them. They figure out ways around it. And yeah. this is the time to be as resourceful as, as you've ever been. Yeah, because the world's going to fail you. No, nobody's coming to save you, especially nobody's coming to save us in particular. Yeah, you know, black exactly. wealth is, is, is uh, I think, projected to go to zero by 2053. Yes. And we got to do everything possible to, I don't accept that, by the way, as a, as a fact. I just say that that's the trend if we don't do something about it. Right. Um, completely. And you know, working together is is probably the number one thing um, that can help us, that can, you know, prevent that. Um, you know, I, I, I say this all the time and, you know, running a Black-owned, you know, tech company, um, I realized just looking at other founders in the, in the space when, you know, t- first of all, we raise significantly less money. Um, we're, we're under-resourced, like you wouldn't believe. Um, and when anything goes wrong, People are so quick to talk negative about and assume the, the worst for the company. Um, assume the worst. Um, say that they will never use it again, um, and that they tried to support it. Yeah. Um, but the next thing that I see, you know, one of the I, I guess from the opposite end of the spectrum is um, I love sneakers. I've been like a sneakerhead my entire life. Um, but I see on Twitter all the time. People are like the sneakers app, which is where, you know, Nike drops their, their shoe releases on yeah. Saturdays or Fridays or whenever it is um, for a particular release. Every time a shoe drops, if you go on Twitter and type in sneakers, everybody on there is bashing sneakers, saying that they'll never use it again. It's the worst thing ever. They never get selected for the new Jordans that came out and they will dog it. However, yeah. they They're always still about a sneaker thing. They, they, they always go back next Saturday when the next shoe releases. So, yep. you know, it's like, you know, unfortunately, minority-owned businesses don't get the opportunity of, you know, not per, not providing what you need every time and still getting the support every time. 
Um, it's, but we need it's, to do it. We, 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 we need to allow for some grace, though. Yeah, we, we have to we have to provide some grace um, because if Nike still can't get it right and they're a billion and billion and billion times over type of company, um, you know, this company that just raised one hundred thousand dollars, you know, they're, they're fighting all types of fires that you wouldn't believe. So, um, you know, that's that's just one thing that I would say. And then separately from that, that I've recently just come to the realization of is that uh, we don't really encourage each other to take risks. And no, in the, the black community, um, we encourage people to be safe. And what I'm not, I'm not saying this to say, hey, go quit your job tomorrow. But no, because that would be stupid right now. Because that would be stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, would, unless you got a good plan, like yeah, yes, ex- ex- exactly. That that would be stupid for sure. But you know, rather than always seeking out that really safe, cushy job, whether it's at PNG or GE or you know, Goldman Sachs or Barclays or any of these companies, even Twitter and Facebook, because, you know, Twitter and Facebook and, you know, Google, Amazon, these are all tech companies, but they're so established that the opportunity to really generate wealth um, is gone. You know, those those yep. first 20, 50, even 100 employees at those companies um, are doing so well that that employee 15,000 847, they're not having the same type of wealth generating opportunities that that first group of employees got. And I think oftentimes I'm seeing people try to wait too late to join the company that they already know is hot versus taking a chance and and really building something um, early to where when that company does have that exit or that IPO, now you're creating significant wealth for yourself and your family but now you have so much wealth that you can actually pay that forward. You can now, you know, go start a, a, a black venture fund. You can now start to be an angel investor um, and create opportunities for companies like mine um, to get funded earlier, faster, um, and, and, and in a more equitable way than some of our counterparts. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's part of our mindset and actually understanding entrepreneurship, understanding what it takes. Like communities as a whole, like when you know, the Jewish community is obviously example. They're successful, you know, not because they're smarter, not because of anything other than they support one another. They have a mindset that they're going to invest in their community. They're going to invest in their friends. And so all the investments don't go well, like just because it does not. That, that's what people think. No, it doesn't. But they still help again and again and again. It's a different mindset. It's a different mentality. And it's, and it's I, look, I actually saw it play out in my former life when I was in public service. Uh, I would, you know, it, there was a different understanding with some of my, with, with, with other communities and the, and the need to invest in people you believe in. Very similar, you know, hadn't, hadn't won any office, but they said, look, I believe in you. I know you can do this. I believe you're going to go somewhere. So they did it and not, and there was nothing there, but a lot of us, and I, and this wasn't true all the time, but it was true more often than not. That's why I'm talking about it. It was a, it was a lot, much harder conversation, much harder lift for people that had the means. They just didn't understand this is what it takes for us to advance. Like we have to invest in each other before it's safe. We have to invest it, it, it when we have the ability to do it. I'm saying exactly. I'm talking about people that have the ability to do it. And yeah, there are 200%. Two, that, that does. That do. 200%. And and it doesn't matter if you are, you know, you have a nice cushy job at PNG and you're earning 2-300,000 a year or if you're one of our celebrities that we oftentimes look, look oftentimes look up to. Um, and the inter- inter- in the entertainment or sports arena, 
on both sides, people still wait until someone else validates this company. Yeah, you got to have a validator. Yeah. That's, like, that's not, and, that's not and, black. And, and too oftentimes that validation does not come from someone else that looks like us. And then they want to invest. Um, yeah. And then a lot of times the check that they want to write at that point is so small that you're not even looking for that type of investment anymore. But that's training, though. But uh, Travis, I go like it's not it's that, you know, we we haven't we're still as a community new to entrepreneurship. Right. We're still as a community still well, new. I, to, I don't I don't I don't know. So let me say it like that as a, as a community yeah. whole, yeah. like in terms of embracing it as a community wide. We don't we've had entrepreneurs yeah. forever, obviously. So let me, let me make sure I'm yeah. clear on that. What I'm yeah. saying is really understanding as a community whole why we should support one another at a level you you talked about it earlier, right? At yeah. a level that, you know, and give give each other grace. Having that right. understanding of community entrepreneurship, I should say. Okay, exactly. We shouldn't have to wait until you become Oprah to say, "Oh, I want to invest in you." Like that's okay, right. great. Like right. everybody wants right. to invest in Oprah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, like exactly. I mean, like you it's, got it. But there are people that have shown and have a large track record already enough to say, oh, let me support that person. At least let me take a risk. And, and you know, it doesn't mean it's going to work out all the time. That's the nature of risk taking. Uh, but but making it is not, as we're seeing in, in COVID-19 world, there are people that are being laid off that have college degrees, that have done everything right, that have checked every single box. I do this. I work hard. I go to a company. Still lost the opportunity. Exactly. You know, exactly. so it's, there, there is, you, exactly. we, we have to, the best way in, in, in order for us to come out of this and have, and not continue the same trends, you know, we have to invest in us too. We have to, and we have to value what we actually bring to the table. So uh, I really, I am, I am very appreciative of, of, of what you did and what you were doing and the fact that you did take the risk because taking risk is hard. Yeah, so, absolutely. But I, but I went into a random. I, what I'm saying is we are still, in terms of having the mindset, let me change about entrepreneurial collective mindset of working together and understanding it. You know, I believe we're getting to that point now in 20. I think we're now entering a phase that we haven't entered before. And I think we are further along in that mindset because uh, at least I, I feel it more when I talk to people understanding like we need to support entrepreneurship. We need to support each other. Uh, I, I, I've heard people more comfortable with being forward to say I'm a black entrepreneur. People used to in order to be successful, would have to, you know, hide their head and, you know, maybe let others be the the lead and still, right? That's not, I, I, I see, I see less of that now. What's your thought on that? Uh, I would agree. I would agree with that. Um, I, I have seen, I don't know if you, did you watch the movie, The Banker? Um, I haven't, by no. chance? So, so The Banker actually touches on that to where they tried to get a deal done, couldn't do it and had to find, um, you know, uh, typically actually one of their white employees to go in yeah. and close deals. Um, you should check out another show of mine. The show I had with, um, uh, why am I forgetting his name? Brother in real estate. Now I'm just losing his name. It's called uh, the, the, the show is from z- uh, uh, zero to a billion while black. And that's the episode. And he, he talked about the fact that he had to do just that. And he had to do it all the way until he secured about 200 million. This was in the eighties and some of the nineties, but, but having that mindset can be traumatizing. So you think, you know, if you do that, you start to, whether you realize it or not, you start to believe some of that. There's no way if you don't do that, that you don't believe it. 200%, 200%. Yeah, I I definitely, I've seen it. Um, I've heard it firsthand. That movie, uh, I just watched it recently, which is why it's top of mind. And I actually, it's a true story. And I actually lived two blocks in LA from that building um, that that they're talking about. So I won't spoil the movie for, for anyone listening, but I definitely recommend listening to, I'm sorry, watching The Baker. It was a phenomenal. All right. So 
a couple rapid fire questions. Uh, what do you think, what's a moment you had that where you, where you felt like you failed or, or you learned or it, it seemed like a failure then, but now looking back, you would tell yourself, this is something that actually helped shaped and, and actually made me a better person. Um, hmm. I would say that, so it depends. Are we talking about solo? So we want to keep it. Could, it could be solo. It can be, it can be your personal journey. Go through it. What, however you feel. Got it. Um, so I, I would say, you know, one, one failure, um, that I had early on is having too much faith in people based off of their potential, um, versus what I was mm. actually seeing. And, you know, when you, when you build a company and, and you start to have, you know, one of the, one of the best things that you can do and one of the most exhilarating things is that you have this idea and you decide that, you know, you want to do it. And then you actually convince like that first or second person to like drop what they're doing to help you do what you're doing. And because that person drops what they're doing. Because it, it takes a long time to get to that first person. I already know. <laughs> exactly. So when you get that person, you know, there's this sense of like loyalty that you feel to them and they most likely feel to you as well. Um, but when you, when you ultimately realize that they're not the person that you need, um, I made a mistake of continuing to find ways to keep them around because I felt so indebted to them for believing yeah. in this journey. Um, yeah. But the truth of the that. matter is, is that they were continuing to find ways to hurt me and the company um, and not on purpose, but they just weren't the right person. You know, some people are really good for you at a certain stage um, of a company or a certain stage of your life, but they're not good for the entirety of it. They're not supposed to be at the end of the story, but they were, they were a mean character in the beginning. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, really, I think, hurt the development of the company in that first year was that we could have gone a lot stronger. We could have built a stronger product if we had different talent earlier than what I allowed us to do. So, you know, that, that set us back um, in some way. Um, but I've learned so much since that point. And um, it's, it's probably one of the best lessons that I have as, a, as an entrepreneur. All right. To, to add to that question, what do, you, what do you think is the most important skill set for an entrepreneur? Um, they need to be relentless. Um, they need to not, um, you know, really, they need to, they need to not believe in the word no. The word no needs to be not yet or not now. Because um, you're going to get no more than you get yes, like 10 times. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have to be very comfortable with the word no. Um, and, and then lastly, I think you have to be resourceful. Um, you know, the, the resourceful founders, the resourceful entrepreneurs will always find ways around the hurdle. Um, those who are not will oftentimes struggle or give up. Yep. Agreed. Um, if you had a committee of three living or dead to do for business advice, for personal advice, who would those three people be and why? Hmm. Um, business advice and personal advice. That's interesting. Or personal um, advice and or. Yeah. Okay. Um, so for, so for business, um, I'm going to go, uh, I mean, I'm going to go Jeff Bezos. Um, you okay. know, he built, he built the everything store, like a marketplace. Um, everyone told him that he should not build the everything store. All of his investors said, you know, you can start with one thing. Um, and ultimately he was, he was able to break through that and, and build this, this literally what he originally wanted to build. Um, but he's now, you know, the wealthiest man in the world. Um, so his idea was a good one, but if he would have listened to no, then he would have never built it. Um, and 
separately from that, I would say, um, I would say, mm. oh, so I'm wearing a Marcus Garvey shirt right now. Okay. Um, and, and, and I would say, I would, I would say Marcus Garvey, um, because, you know, I, I often kind of look at, you know, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Garvey, um, and it would just be really interesting to see, um, to ask him some questions that I have. What would you ask them? What would you ask uh, them? So, so hindsight, I mean, we're, we're, I'm, we're, we're so far advanced, but like, you know, the things that we're experiencing as our communities today, uh, as the African-American or black community today, um, did you foresee this? Um, and was this part of your thesis? Um, and, and, and if, and if it was, what do you think would have been our reality if we would have decided not to live in the current reality that we're living in? And mm. we would have actually went back, uh, to Africa. Mm, that's a good question. All right. Who's your third? Um, oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm thinking me plus two. Um, uh, the third would be. Hmm. It could be living. It doesn't have to be someone that's dead or you, you, it's going to be somebody yeah, you know, too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the third would be Obama. Um, okay. Because the, the, the level of scrutiny, first of all, I, I've just, I've never seen anyone so squeaky clean in my life. Um, yeah, he was pretty squeaky clean, bro. Yeah. <laughs> He's the squeakiest clean yeah. brother I've seen ever. Yeah, ex- so ex- ex- Exactly. So, you know, that, that would just be really interesting to like, kind of hear some of his, his stories and his background, um, the things he's seen and experienced, but separately from that, the level of scrutiny that he's had to deal with throughout, you know, his, just his presidential term itself. Um, you know, how was, how was he able to have the mental toughness, um, to keep pushing through and not just say, you know what, I'm I'm just going to let you go. And I'm going to let you end up with the same type of leader that we have today. And then yeah. see what happens. But he, you know, he, he's, he's got he's more patience than me. He fought through it. That level of patience and drive, um, I think is, is commendable, as commendable as I've ever seen. And it would be awesome to, uh, to, to get some advice. What's an important truth you have that very few people agree with you on? Um, <laughs> important truth. Cause that's relative. Cause I was going to say that. That's I why I said, that's why I've, yeah. Yeah, it's your truth. I didn't say, yeah. I didn't say it's the truth. That's it is your truth. Um, I think that this is very unpopular, I'm sure. And as I'm about to say it, it becomes more unpopular as I think about it. But uh, Tupac, I think, was an overrated lyricist. I think that the impact that he had as a rapper was significant, probably, arguably the biggest that any rapper has ever had. However, from a lyrical standpoint... (laughs) Who do you like for a lyrical standpoint? Who's your... Who's your who's your person? Uh, so so um, one, I would say big over pop from a lyrical perspective. You're but, from New York, um, though, right? Yeah. So yeah, um, you're, I, you're a little biased, but go ahead. So, so I'm a little bit biased, but no, you're in um, LA saying this. That's li- interesting. Li- li- <laughs> but, 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 but but lyrically, I would say that Ice Cube was better lyrically than Pac. But separately from that, I would say like my my, my best my top three lyrical um, rappers in, in no order are uh, Jay, Nas, and Big. Okay. All right. Uh, you have a billboard, a Google ad that symbolizes your belief and says it. What would that say and why? If I had a Google ad that says what? Or a Google ad or a billboard and it has a saying, this is Travis Holloway saying, what would that say and why? Um, hmm. It would say, 
That's a really good question. I've I've never thought about that before. Um, Hmm. So we thinking like a quote. This is like a quote. It could be a quote, or it can be however you want it. It's 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 your saying. Then that would be a quote. Nah, I think it, I think it would be pretty simple, and I think it's uh, something that's very applicable to the current state that we're in right now. And it's just it's simple. It's just literally never give up. Yeah, that's a good one. Never give up. You know, life is life is simple, but it's not easy. Yeah, that that's that that's really it's that that's really saying simple. Like you don't give up, but it's it's easy to give up, and it's harder to keep fighting. It's harder to have perseverance. Exactly. It's 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 never as bad as it seems. Um, and, and another thing that I would, I would probably say is like, and, and which is a true testament to the, the company that I built, um, and why I thought that it could be built this way. And it's the world is more empathetic than the news will allow you to believe. Um, because you turn on the news and everybody's against each other. You think that people aren't willing to, to lend a helping hand. Um, you have a lot of different thoughts based off of what we've been, you know, programmed with. Um, but when I see people program, that's the right word, but when, when I see people who are literally giving their money away every day, not even on solo, but just in across the board to help other people in need, um, I think COVID is, is giving us a little bit of an insight into that, but that is how the world already was. We just don't glorify it. We don't publicize it and it doesn't get the media coverage, but you know, we're actually all in this together and people do care. Travis Holloway of Solo Funds. Uh, Solo Funds. Uh, it was good to have you on, brother, and uh, we definitely got to do it again. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me.